37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Well, hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal. This will be episode 272. I, of course, am Sean. I am incredibly sleep-deprived. And with me, as always, is Preston. What's up, all you crocodiles, crocodingos, skeletor, skeletets, witchers and witches, people with giant heads that uh, look like dorks in trucker hats, and uh, <laughs> you know everybody else that has a normal-shaped head? How are you, buddy? Doing good. Well, it is March 6th, and I am, I think, getting into my um, annual, uh, what do you call that, seasonal insomnia, because I think I only slept about two hours last night, and it wasn't very much fun. I have my, uh, my annual allergy bullshit going on right now, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. You know. Yeah, I had some of that kick in this morning, but yeah, last night, I don't know what it was, but I popped uh, like 10 milligrams of like some heavy-duty melatonin slow-release caps, and uh, mm. next thing you know, it was like 2.30 in the morning, and I'm still wide awake, so went to bed, tried to sleep, and before I knew it, I was running through my mom and dad's house, checking all the locks on their doors and their windows, because I heard somebody walking around outside my bedroom window... And next thing you know, I realized my parents had like five or seven doors to their house. And I'm running around frantically trying to, you know, make sure all the deadbolts are locked. I come to like the sixth or seventh door, go to lock it, realize it's open. I hear somebody rummaging through my mom and dad's house. And then quickly chaos ensues and I call the police. I uh, was then picked up by a police officer and we found out one of their neighbors was going through people's houses. And of course, I'm in a dream at this point. And I'm in the back of a police cruiser. We're driving around. We see four of their neighbors get into a shootout and shot each other. And then the police officer goes like 50 miles an hour towards my parents' house. My wife was there walking through their driveway. The cop car hit her. And then I woke up in like a sheer panic. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell was going on. I had adrenaline pumping through my veins. And... Uh, yeah, I was pretty much awake from that point on, so I think I woke up at about four and been going strong ever since, buddy. Whew. Wow. Yeah, I know. So, I'm uh, I'm experiencing gut rot. Ew. So. <laughs> from what? Yeah, well, so, you know, before the show started, I asked you, have you ever had, like, actual, like, moonshine, or you just had that fake bullshit where people take Everclear and put sugar in mm -hmm. it, and... Uh, so right. my buddy, uh, we were, he was in town this weekend and, uh, with some family stuff and we were, I was over there Saturday night and his, uh, nephews into making authentic moonshine, like actual corn mash and distilling it. Oh, wow. That's kind of cool. And, uh, you know, he adds like mangoes and pineapples and other flavors to the mash. Ooh. And so yeah. he parted us before he left with a jar of mango pineapple moonshine uh which is so potent i have it mixed with uh, pepsi right now oh but like all day long like i got into it last night and drank like a good bit and like all day long like i'm just like ripping ass and i'm just like jesus christ the insides of oh. my body sound you know smells like they're slowly decaying and i'm like yeah this is what gut rot you might be pickling yourself yeah it might be 
It might be. But, you know, <laughs> cheers. Yeah, buddy, cheers to you. I am drinking water because I intend to take an industrial strength sleeping pill as soon as we're done. Well, before we get started, I'd like to just also uh, raise my glass to you, buddy, and say congrats. We did a pretty badass thing this weekend. We did. Um, we didn't talk about it on any other episode, but um, I joined you and your merry band of masons, as I call them, and we <laughs> did the annual Polar Plunge. Yeah. Yeah. This makes uh equal now. It's This is like my fifth or sixth, and this is your fifth or sixth. And, yeah, um, something like that, yeah. You know, as a team, we raised... Uh, uh, so the website shows 610, but uh, it's actually uh, or 1610, um, but it's actually six, 1645. So we raised 1,645 dollars total uh, toward the Special Olympics, yeah. and uh, I was a little, I was a little nervous going in that water. I'm not gonna lie, uh, with seven mm-hmm. inches of steel in my wrist, I was like, dude, I don't, I don't, because that mm-hmm. one year that you and I did it, you know, the water was 20. 27 22 degrees yeah yeah and uh we went uh, the pond that we jumped in like that bad boy uh that was like six seven feet deep and uh mm-hmm. your life gets sucked your soul gets sucked out of your body i mean you're basically dangling dangling in the water and you're in shock and uh, you know there have been times where we've done it in hayesville where i'm like i think i'm dead uh-huh. i i don't know how to swim um i you know, like, mm-hmm, where's mm-hmm. my soul at? Like, I can see my body dangling there, and then all of a sudden it hits you, and you're like, oh, shit, I got to breathe, and I got to get up out of the water. And I'm like, well, this bad boy locks up. I don't know how well that's going to work out. And uh, I jumped in and went under, popped back up, and mm-hmm. uh, I had absolutely no feeling in my wrist whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> the rest of my body felt like it was on fucking fire. And I was just like, oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh God, there's my soul. Oh, yeah. yeah right, right. Daddy's home. Uh, get the fuck out of here. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. It was a good time. Yep. It was a good time, man. I really kind of wish we would have known what the actual temperature was of that water. But no, it was a good time. It was still cold as hell. It just wasn't like, you know, 20 to 27 degrees cold. Yeah. Um, but still, it was enough to wake you up, and I felt very, very rejuvenated afterwards. But anyway, nonetheless, man, despite how cold it was or wasn't, we still did a pretty badass job. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was awesome being able to tag along with you and your Mason buddies, and they're a bunch of stellar dudes. And, you know, next year, say we do it again and try to hit two grand. Fuck yeah, I'm ready. I'm awesome. I'm ready. Hell yeah. Hopefully it's fucking fucking colder next year, so. Yeah, man, fingers crossed. I don't know. You know, in the first year I did it with Eric, we did it in, like, January, I think on my birthday, right around the 31st. And that was cold as heck, and we did it running into a beach. So the perk of doing the plunge is you jump off of, like, a boat dock and you just submerge all at once. Mm-hmm. I think a beach is harder because you have to run and it hits your feet and like your instinct is to turn around and say, no, that's too fucking cold. Yeah, I'm not going in any further. Oh, oh, my tip of my dick hit the water. I'm out. out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You get about waist deep and your balls are up on your shoulder like a couple little parrots and they're just like, this ain't right. And then you got to continue just to trudge your way into it. So only way at that point to get past that is just dive in, buddy. Yeah. But yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and you guys did Watson uh Watson Park that first year and uh I mm-hmm. was surprised you guys didn't come back with like fucking syphilis or uh, gonorrhea or <laughs> any other 
I mean, like all your skin was still yeah. on your body. Like I was worried for you both because, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it, the water in Watson Park is a cesspool of debauchery and disease. So Right. Yeah, I definitely showered pretty quick afterwards. Yeah. Because God knows what was in that water, but... Yeah, it's always a good time. I keep making the joke to people like, hey, uh, you know, if I can raise X amount of dollars, then I'll go jump in the lake on March 5th or whatever, you know, the day is. And people are like, oh, heck, I want you to do that. And I mean, not to say that I'm being slightly shady, but I would do that anyway. Like if you called me up, you're like, hey, dude, this weekend, let's go jump in the lake in the middle of February. I would do it because it sounds fun. Right. So the fact that we get to raise money is just that much cooler and, you know, just that much more of a reason to do dumb stuff. So Yeah. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the next one on my list this year, I have uh, one more big event, which is St. Baldrick's in October. Mm-hmm. And uh, for $3,000 raised, my brother and myself will not only shave our heads for children's cancer research, but the beard is going too. So that's my next big fundraising Ooh. adventure yeah. is the get to the three grand mark for St. Baldrick's and I will go Uncle Fester for the world. <laughs> See, that's the problem with me. I think if I did that, I would look like Uncle Fester because I'm sure under this beard, there's got to be at least two more chins than I plan on there being. So I probably would not shave my head or my beard. Maybe my head. Yeah, because you know, you know, I got the, I got the, I got the double chin going on. I can feel it right here. I can feel the wrinkle, but then I also <laughs> have the butt chin crease. So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's charming I'm, still. Yeah, it looks like a weird, you know body part growing on my face like <laughs> you know is it a butt crack is it a vagina like what has he got rocking on the bottom half of his face so yeah who is that masked man <laughs> yeah well presto in other news one of my favorite topics we've talked about on the show has been um, pablo escobar and his notorious hippopotami did you hear that in Bogota, Colombia, they're proposing to transfer at least 70 hippopotamuses that live near his former ranch, um, all of them descendants of the four original imported from Africa illegally, I might add, because they're just getting too out of control. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the hippos are territorial and weigh up to three tons and have spread far beyond Hacienda Napoli's ranch, located 200 kilometers from Bogota along the Magdalena River. Environmental authorities estimate that there's about 130 hippos in the area in Antigua, uh, Antigua, Antigua province, and their population could reach at least 400 over the next eight years. Well, the hippos and also the ranch have become a bit of a local tourist attraction since uh, the kingpin was killed by police back in 1993. But the problem is, scientists are warning everybody that hippos don't really have any natural predators in Colombia and are a potential problem for biodiversity since their feces change the composition of the rivers, which could impact the habitat of manatees and capybaras. Last year, Colombia's government declared them as a toxic invasive species. So, holy crap, pun intended, what are we supposed to do now, Presto? Well, send them somewhere else and make them be India's problem, I guess. So, I don't know. I don't know that India is the best place to send them mm-hmm. because, um, in, the, in their natural African habitat, they. 
they don't breed very good. I mean, you get like one one calf every couple of years, and it takes them forever to reach sexual maturity. And uh, that was the problem with old Pablo Escobar is they, you know, had, you know, lush, swampy grass areas and start fucking like jackrabbits mm-hmm. and big jackrabbits popping out babies left and right. And then, you know, the, the people um, in Colombia had never seen a hippo. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what the what the fuck's this cute little water cow looking yeah, thing? And yeah. um, you know, let's eat it for dinner. And then uh, hippo meat contains like meningitis Ugh. or something like that. And so people were like getting sick and dying, and it became like a big issue. Uh huh. So you're 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 basically taking them from one tropical environment and putting them in a another tropical environment because India, you know, they have pretty lush jungles. Um, there's a there's a lot of water watering holes and a lot of greenery for them to eat. Um, honestly, fucking just ship their asses back to Africa and like put them out in the middle of like the you know the fucking grasslands where there's not much to eat. They'll be fine, you know. Let Mother Nature work its course, do her huh. thing. Yeah, um, I did a quick Google search. I don't see anything outright that says the hippo meat has meningitis, but I believe you. Because I can't argue the yeah. fact. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hell. Well, speaking of eating things, Preston, I think we talked about it plenty of times before. Um, but are you a big fan of the idea of eating crickets? Um, you know, I, I've read papers on pe- people that are doing nu- nutrition studies where mm-hmm. they take crickets and mealworms. And they grind them up into a powder and then make like a hamburger patty from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd be okay with that. Okay. Um, I'm more of a, I'm more of a texture guy, so if it's like crunchy, crunchy, uh, and I'm sitting there picking out cricket wings from my teeth, <laughs> I, I'm not down for that. So, um, but cricket paste, uh-huh. if it you know seasoned right, I give it a go. Okay. Well, I just happen to have in front of me here a tube of. Into Life Kickers Jalapeno Garlic Roasted Cricket Snack that Shayla gave me for Christmas. The reason I bring it up, buddy, is because over in Berlin, an ice cream parlor has expanded its menu with a skin-crawling offering. Cricket-flavored scoops with dried brown crickets on top. The unusual confection is available at Thomas Michelino store in southern Germany's town of Rottenburg am Neckar. Michelino has a habit of creating flavors that are far outside Germans' typical preferences for strawberry, chocolate, banana, and vanilla. And in the past, he's offered liver sausage and gorgonzola cheese-flavored ice cream, as well as a gold-plated ice cream for about $4.25 a scoop. Well, I don't know how it would taste, but I would definitely give it a shot. He says he can now produce the cricket flavor. That's a no from me, dog. (laughs) Now that he can produce the cricket flavor due to a European regulation that allows the use of insect food, he's able to offer a very unique new flavor. Under the regulation, crickets can be frozen, dried, or used as a powder. The European EU already allowed migratory locust and flower beetle larvae as food additives, um, also reported by the DPA. Michelino's ice cream is made of cricket flour, heavy cream, vanilla extract, and honey. 
the cricket flavor is due to be in the European regulation, uh, European European Union regulation that's going to allow insects to be used as food. So with that, I'm going to do a little ASMR and I'm going to give these crickets a try, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're really spicy. Yeah. <laughs> mm, this makes for great television. Tastes like fish food. Oh my God, that's a really great description. It does taste a lot like fish food, like I'm eating little freeze-dried shrimpies. Mm. So they're very dry. I'm assuming these have been freeze-dried or just straight up, you know, dehydrated. But all in all, they're not bad. And it kind of reminds me of eating like a sunflower seed or something like that. But oh man, they're, they're very spicy. Oh shit, allergy warning. If you're allergic to shellfish, you may also be allergic to insects. Well, I can have shellfish, but... Yeah, the ingredients are roasted crickets, ground jalapenos, garlic, and salt. Very, very interesting. And like you just said, I'm going to spend the rest of the episode digging out cricket legs from my teeth. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, funnily enough, that was not in my script. I just looked over and realized I still had this test tube of crickets. The things we do for our listeners. <laughs> Speaking of insects and tying it into our main topic of superstitions... Have you ever been to a restaurant where they've got like a baggie, like a Ziploc full of like pennies and water hanging up outside, like on a patio or on an awning before? No. Well, apparently there's a pest control trick that scientists are currently testing out right now that some Americans believe has been a long used superstition to repel flies. It involves a handful of pennies, water, plastic bags, and sometimes a string. Residents along the southern U.S. have passed down the tip and say that filling sealable plastic bags with water and pennies will help keep flies away when you hang them near a window or a door or a seating area, such as outside on the patio of a restaurant. The root cause and solution of fly problems is sanitation. Most flies feed on dead or decaying organic matter, like leftover fish or nachos or whatever. So the approach of using pennies in a bag to get rid of flies may or may not be a real way to get rid of them, says etymologists. But a recent article published in the food magazine Taste of Home reported that southern residents and restaurant owners swear by the penny and water-filled bag trip trick as a method of naturally repelling flies. Some people have theorized the penny and water plastic bag trick could potentially work by messing with a fly's vision, according to a speculative article released by the Tennessee Farm Bureau, which is a non-governmental nonprofit. The best explanation is a simple light refraction that's going through the bag of water that confuses a horsefly or a housefly. A housefly has large complex eyes that are made up of thousands of simple eyeballs that don't move or focus. So a fly bases his movement on light and the refraction of light coming through the water of a plastic bag from all different directions could confuse a fly, causing it to move on to places that are easier on the eyes. Dedicated penny and water theorists have also suggested the hack might fool a fly into believing the filled bags are other insects' eyes, or surface water, which might tell a fly it's unwise to land anywhere near. But yeah, it's funny, a long time ago, um, Shayla just texted me, we went to La Hacienda Ranch in Fort Worth, and they had those bags hanging all over their patios. Hmm. 
yeah, I didn't know if you heard about that or not. Um, but yeah, I thought it was kind of cool in the news. Apparently scientists are checking that out to see if it might be a more um, humane way to get rid of them versus sticky paper and fly traps. All right, well, let's get to the nitty-gritty, shall we? Last time we met, we shared a ton of your guys' own personal superstitions, and we may revisit a few of those on tonight's episode, because tonight we're going to take a deeper dive into some of the more common superstitions and talk about the meaning and reasoning behind a lot of them. So buckle up, y'all, because we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff and unpacking a ton on this episode. We're going to be talking about religion, good fortune. Um, I put McDonald's on that list. I don't know how, but you know, who knows? Um, the Pope, King Henry VIII, and the fate of your very own soul. And also that son of a bitch Judas who just has to put his dirty face in every single one of these, it feels like. So the human mind continuously and unconsciously searches for useful patterns. I know I look for patterns all the time. In fact, when I watched Skin and Marink the other day in the movie theater, it wasn't the uh, really slow-moving movie that ruined itself for me, but instead the lo-fi filter they put on the screen repeating itself every two to three minutes ruined it for me because I saw what, Preston? A pattern. So other panel, <laughs> other patterns, for example, are how we survive by recognizing feeding patterns and we put ourselves in the right places at the right times for different meals. We also avoid injury or death when crossing busy streets by looking for patterns of traffic. Getting fed and avoiding being squished in traffic both involve learning real cause and effect patterns. And of course, you can see this in like crows as well. A lot of studies show that crows would swoop down and get walnuts that weren't quite ripe enough to crack. They'd go back up, rest on traffic lights, and when the light turned green, they would drop the walnuts to let cars run them over. Then when the light turned red, they'd learn they could swoop down and grab the nut meat off the street before cars would then come back through when the light turns back to green. So we're not the only ones who study patterns, but we are the only ones that follow superstitions. And sometimes our brains interfere causing um, cause and effect patterns that aren't real. So suppose that a friend gives you a lucky penny, Preston, or in my case, a lucky St. Sebastian pendant. Well, being skeptical as I am, I would put it on my shoe, run tough mutter, and at the very end, I'd look down at my shoe and say, holy crap, I got this lucky pendant. I didn't get severely maimed while doing this thing. Lo and behold, I might just start believing that I have a lucky pendant, and therefore a personal superstition is born. Now, to further that idea, I would say that probably 95% of the OCR mud runs I've done, I've had that pendant either on my shoe or on my drawstring of my shorts or in a pocket. And again, maybe I'll knock on a little wood. We'll get to that later. But I have not been severely injured and in fact saved a few people from getting severely injured. And perhaps that could be because of my lucky St. Sebastian pendant. But, you know, me telling a few friends that I have a good luck pendant and countless other superstitions can be born by just talking about things in socialization. Learning about them from parents and other trusted authorities or friends while we're still young opens up a world to, you know, just this giant landscape of magical possibilities. And then, of course, other superstitions circulate indefinitely among families and friends, reinforced by word of mouth. And that's how we also get, you know, old wives' tales, which kind of hold very close to superstitions. 
But it seems as though the more people that support a superstition, the more believable it can soon become and the longer it will persist. And if a superstition happens to make us more cautious around mirrors, there's no harm in that, right? I mean, I like to be careful around mirrors because those fuckers are expensive and I don't like to get cut by glass. But a yeah. tiny part of me also says, I don't really want seven years of bad luck. So while superstitions can be fun and interesting to talk about, there's also a lot of weird stories that are behind them. So first of all, let's just jump and talk about some black cats, shall we? So most of us have heard the old superstition that if you're not supposed to, <clears throat> that you're not supposed to hang on <clears throat> cricket in the throat. <clears throat> I wouldn't suggest eating crickets by the handful like I did. I might suggest those sprinkle them on a salad, perhaps. <clears throat> so most of us have heard the old superstition that you're not supposed to let a black cat cross your path. And if you did, you're surely going to have a little bit of bad luck. But as it turns out, Preston, black cats haven't always had such a bad rap. Uh, you know, my brother and I, we grew up with a black cat, and, you know, she crossed my path a hundred times, and I never seemed to have too much bad luck. And she even lived to the ripe old age of 19 years old. I've never owned a black cat. You've never have? No. We've always had a gray cat. Gray's the, the color of luck. So whenever I go to get oh, a kitty no cat, my stipulation is it has to be gray or gray in color. I refuse to get any other color of cat if it is not mm -hmm. uh, that steel gray or like, you know, still gray and white or whatever. Mm -hmm. so, and it always has to be named Mr. Kitty or Kitty. Those are the only two names that it can be. <laughs> so Okay. Is that your own superstition? Yeah, I don't deviate. So Huh. What about a black and white cat? If it runs by you real quick, it'll look gray. I mean, I'm probably not gonna give two shits you can if say it no. runs runs by me, but I, I, I ain't I ain't gonna own it, is what I'm saying. So if it's a cat in my house, okay. It's gray and it's kitty or Mr. Kitty. Those are the only two choices. Okay. Well cats haven't always had such a bad rap, and in fact back in three thousand BCE, during the time of Egyptian rule, of course cats as a whole were worshipped as feline deities. Thus they were notoriously honored and worshipped almost to the same degree as pharaohs, and to such a degree that if you were to ever kill one, it would be considered to be a capital crime. And then if you fast forward, cats were also important in Greek mythology, especially for the Greek deity known as Hecate, the goddess of magic, sorcery, the moon, and witchcraft. She herself was described as having a black cat as both a pet and her familiar. So let's talk about Hecate a little bit here. The goddess had an unusual ritual performed in her honor back in the Greek religion. This included offerings of food that were oftentimes given at crossroads, road junctions, and any other sort of boundary or threshold. These were known as the Supper of Hecate. They took the form of small cakes, eggs, and cheese, and bread, and also, strangely enough, dog meat, all which were left with lit miniature torches or alternatively, dishes of red mullet could be left as well. Hecate was also offered the sacrifice of dogs in addition to these food um, offerings, especially, unfortunately, sacrifices of puppies. The dog connection may be the fact that dogs were known to eat the dead if left unburied, and they also howl at the moon. So, of course, perhaps it's just the fact that Hecates loved cats and hated dogs that pissed people off, and started the whole terrible twist of the fate of a black cat. 
No, that's not true, actually. It's just because of our dear friends, the Catholics, the Christians, and other organized religion that really screwed cats instead of the pooch and put the old 86 on our feline friends. See, presto, back in the 13th and 14th century, with the rise of witchcraft in Europe, the association between black cats and black goats under black animals, for that matter, went hand-in-hand hand with the devil, and the correlation was so prevalent that an official church document called the Vox in Rama was issued by Pope Gregory the Ninth on June 13th of 1233. In the Vox in Rama, black cats were declared a direct incarnation of Satan, and the formal written Catholic decree marked the beginning of the Inquisition and church-sanctioned heretic and or witch hunts. Initially, it was designed to squash the growing cult of Luciferians in Germany, but quickly, of course, like religion, it spread across Europe. Which is fucking wild, because back in, you know, the way back, the Christian church in Europe actually coexisted peacefully with witches, and the two lived in harmony for just a little while. But as the church gained power and organized religion spread faster and farther across European cities, the church began to see witches and witchcraft as their direct competition. And so in the quest to gain the hearts and the minds of the masses, the church began persecuting, torturing, and killing witches in a high, high number. See, the problem was witches honored the natural world, having deep respect for plants and other animals, but because witches weren't Christians, their affection between humans and animals began to be seen as diabolical and devilish in nature, and suddenly any old lady with a cat would suddenly be suspected as being a witch. But it wasn't just the bond that cats held with their human counterparts that scared early Christians. They also saw felines as literal threats because they thought that cats were just like the wanton women accused of being witches, and they tended to exhibit a healthy disrespect of authority. They didn't fawn and run around like happy little dopes like dogs and puppies did, but instead, cats exhibited a devil-may-care attitude, and in the church, neither independent women or independent animals were to be tolerated. And this shit went on well into the 16th century, where mass hysteria over witchcraft was at its peak, and the superstition associated with black cats and so-called witches, believing them to be either witches, um, a witch's demonic familiar or the devil himself, eventually spread all the way to America during the Salem Witch Trials. And so basically, people started slaughtering any and every black cat they came across or laid their eyes on. Thus making it kind of ironic that it sounds to me like if a person crossed a black cat's path, then they were pretty much doomed. But here's another fun fact for you. When the bubonic plague arrived back in Europe in October 1347, when the 12 ships from the Black Sea docked at the Sicilian port of Messina, people gathered on the docks and were met with a horrifying surprise. Most sailors on board the ship were already dead, and those still alive were gravely ill and covered in black boils that oozed black blood and pus, and Sicilian authorities hastily ordered the fleet of death ships out the harbor, but unfortunately we all know that was too late, and over the next five years, black death would kill more than 20 million people in Europe. That's almost one-third the continent's population. Well, of course, people already believe that black cats were also causing the Black Death, and sadly, attempted to further exterminate them as well. 
That's right, folks. People thought that black cats might have been the result and the causation of the Black Plague. <sighs> anyway, I'm out of breath, so presto, speaking of the devil, what do you have up next for us? Well, first of all, I was scrolling a little bit further ahead in the notes just to see the order in which you put things, and I realized you added some fucking shit on top of my notes that I originally wasn't going to speak about. I'm like, this motherfucker gave me more speaking parts than what I originally intended. God damn it. I mean, just a couple little interjections. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> so, speaking of uh, speaking of the old black death of Rue, um, Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I, I talked about last episode, the whole idea of you sneeze, and I'm like, God bless. Mm-hmm, and that's like, go to hell. And then if you don't say God bless, yeah, like, I'm an asshole, and I'm like, it's stupid. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, well, let me go look up the actual history of this fucking dumb superstition. So <laughs> the most popular theory of why we say God bless after people sneezing was uh, it originated in Rome during the bubonic plague. And uh, sneezing was one of the plague's main symptoms, and it is believed that Pope Gregory uh, I suggested a tiny prayer in the form of saying, God bless you, after a sneeze, which would protect the person from death. So I picture them saying, God bless you, and then just slaughtering a cat right afterwards. Yeah. Uh, Another more superstitious theory is that it stems from the ancient belief that a sneeze might accidentally expel the spirit from the body unless God blesses Mm -hmm. you and prevents it. Other cultures thought that sneezing forced evil spirits out of the body, leaving uh, others exposed to wandering spirits and blessing them. (laughs) Like, there's people fucking... Oh, God! Jerry's gonna get in you now. Somebody Mm -hmm. say God bless. Hurry up. (laughs) Yeah. So the common cold also gave you bad juju. Yeah, and uh, so anyways, the blessing was to protect both the sneezers and those around him. And then uh, there's the rumor that our hearts stop when we sneeze, and uh, saying bless you is a way of welcoming the the sneezer uh, back from the dead. Oh, kind of like that movie Flatliners. Yeah, and if you accidentally sneeze ten times in a row, the nerve endings firing off in your body is the same uh, sensation um, as an orgasm, so... Huh. So yeah. if you go ten times in a row rapid fire, you're just going to end up with, you know, pants full of sock gravy. Yeah, you're going to be, you know, have snot gravy and coming out one end and sock gravy coming out the other. <laughs> Ooh, man. Yeah. It's got to be a name for that. Anyway, right. yeah, there's several... Um, <laughs> Several different theories here on souls, and it seems to be a lot of concern about the soul wrapped up in all these superstitions. And just like the last episode where we touched on not yawning in a cemetery or even while you're driving by one, another common superstition across the Western world involves holding your breath when you pass by a cemetery. And if you don't, you might risk breathing in the soul of someone who has died. So a lot of conflicting origin stories occur with this idea, but some of them relate clear back to God breathing life into Adam from the Bible, and thus a fear that, you know, if you yawn, you might lose your soul or the breath of God. But throughout human history, breath has long been associated with life and spirits, and to this day, people still hold their breath when passing by cemeteries out of the fear they'll take on the soul of somebody who recently died, thus kicking your own soul to the curb. 
So just to be safe, when you're passing by a cemetery and you forget to hold your breath, maybe you ought to just knock on a little wood for some good luck. And also, real quick, let me interject. I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily a, a, a bad, a bad thing. That if you pass by a cemetery, you don't hold your breath, like you might, you might pick up some wandering spirits. Because in the Jewish faith, we we talked about in past episodes of the Dybbuk, and um, so mm. the Dybbuk box, and the uh, in earlier beliefs, uh, the Dybbuk meant one who clings, and so after you passed away. Um, it was believed, you know, that uh, you you didn't get to go to heaven right away because if you had habits and uh, you know some some bad habits like you know Sean likes to drink a lot of whiskey and uh, you know mm. uh, maybe I smoke too much and uh, so then uh, I pass away and before I get to go to to the pearly gates, I got to be a wandering spirit and I got to cling to somebody who's suffering from a nicotine addiction and help them overcome that addiction. And then once I do so, then I've earned the grace of God to, to pass through the pearly gates. And so maybe we're just all fucking ourselves by, you know, trying to these superstitions of holding our breath in because maybe right now there's a a Jerry or a Steve out there that's like used to smoke 30 packs a day. And God's like, I don't want this fucker up here. And he's supposed to be help, <laughs> help me everywhere. Yeah. Pat, you know, help me get over my own nicotine addiction. And then every time I sneeze, somebody's like, God bless. And Jerry's like, God damn it. That was my one opportunity. That's the perfect candidate right there. I was going to help him. I was. So I'm just saying, oh, no. let's, let's start a new movement. <laughs> Hashtag, every time somebody sneeze, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, go fuck yourself. All right, there you go. I just, <laughs> I, just sa- I just saved you, buddy. I just saved you. Yeah. Doing the Lord's um, work. It's hard, but I'm doing it. <laughs> well, you completely disabled my segue to the next topic so where do you go from there folks let's talk about knocking on wood yeah those are your two choices knock on wood or say go fuck yourself so (laughs) what do you want to do oh man in many cultures it's common superstition for people to knock on their (laughs) jesus In many cultures, it's common superstition for people to knock their knuckles on a piece of wood to bring themselves good fortune or ward off bad luck. Yet while the phrase knock on wood or touch wood in Britain has been a part of the vernacular since at least the 19th century, there seems to be a little agreement on how it originated. One common explanation traces back the phenomenon to ancient pagan cultures such as the Celts or the Celts, who believed in the spirits of gods and other deities resided in trees. You got the fae folk and the wood sprites and wood nymphs and even the spirit of the green man and pan. What's interesting here is the green man has been depicted, depicted with variants almost everywhere, not just in, you know, the... Um, Irish folklore and the Scottish folklore, but um, clear through Europe, the Middle East, and even in Africa, all the way to Eastern Asia and Oceania. But surprisingly enough, there's not too many natural depictions found in the Americas. 
But anyway, it was believed that knocking on tree trunks may have served to rouse the spirits of these woodland sprites to call them for their protection. But it could have also been a way of showing gratitude for a stroke of good luck. Like, you know, you found a couple pennies on the ground, or you found a few shillings, or the girl that you were, you know, eyeballing for a long time finally took notice of you. So to say thanks to the old green man or pan, you'd walk by and knock on a tree trunk or something just to say, hey, thanks, guys. You know, just to let them know you're acknowledging them. But just as a lot of Japanese yokai are, pan and many of the other wood sprites can also be seen to turn on humans and be seen as trickster spirits as well. So another theory is that people knocked on wood to chase away evil spirits or prevent them from listening in when they boasted about their luck, thereby preventing a reversal of fortune. Christians, meanwhile, have often linked the practice of wood knocking to the wood of the cross from Christ's crucifixion. Anyway, it's not just knocking on wood that'll bring you some good fortune, Presto. Why don't you hit us with another well-known lucky memento? I mean, you could rub your knuckles on some wood and get knuckle babies. That might bring you good luck, so... <laughs> I don't know. I'm throwing that out there. I was, I was going to make a kickstand joke earlier, but I thought, no, if anyone's going to make it, Preston will pick it up. So, yeah. good job, buddy boy. That's what I'm here for. You know, and this, so this next one, like, I, I realized mm-hmm. that if I had to rank superstitions on which one I loathe the mm-hmm. most, so obviously sneezing is, like, number one. This next one would be number two for me, only because Dad, we, when I was a kid, it didn't bother me all that much, so we'd go out mm-hmm. somewhere and we'd be, like, walking in the Walmart parking lot, and he'd be like, hold on, son, i got to pick up a penny. Brings you good luck. I'm like, okay, Dad. And then as I became an adult and dad became an, you know, like an older senile man and, you know, he moved like a snail, he'd be like, hold on, Sean, I got to pick up the penny. And then we spend an an extra 10 minutes in the parking lot where he's fiddle fucking around trying to pick this penny off the pavement. And then if I try to do it for (laughs) me, he's like, it's my good luck. Don't touch that penny. I'm going to get it. And so I'm just like, you know what? Whoever fucking came up with this, like rotten hell. (laughs) Because I've wasted a lot of time <laughs> watching people pick up pennies. And I got shit to do, okay? Yeah. So, one of my favorite pranks is when somebody super glues a penny to, like, the floor of, like, a Walmart or a Dylan's. I think that's just great. Yeah. Some people believe it's uh, it's only good luck to pick up a penny when it's it's showing heads up. Unless you're Big John uh-huh. Wiener, you'll just pick up a random penny no matter what. And <laughs> Fuck you, it's my penny. Yeah, a uh, penny with the tail side up uh, should be turned over for another person to find. So instead of being a greedy bastard and picking it up, you should flip it over to heads and be like, I'm passing on that good fortune. Yeah, exactly. Pay it forward, literally. Pay for it. One cent at a time. Uh, You may hear people (laughs) repeat the common rhyme, uh, find a penny, pick it up. All day long, you'll have good luck. So what do you think, listeners? Do you believe in either of these superstitions? Do you know anyone who does other than me? Have you ever had a friend or family (laughs) member tell you not to pick up a penny if uh, its tail is showing? But just how in the fuck did these beliefs get started? Well, long ago, many ancient people believed that metals were the gift of the gods. Copper, gold, iron. They weren't fucking picky. If it was metal, it was lucky. This included like a the bunch copper of magpies. Yeah, this included the copper that was used to make pennies. 
They thought that these metals were given to them by the gods for their protection. So, if you found metal, you should definitely pick it up, since it would protect you and bring you good fortune. This is probably mm. where the belief of finding a penny uh, is lucky came from. Of course, pennies also have value. So, people probably also believe that finding a penny was lucky because it increased your wealth one fucking cent at a time. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. long game. It's the long game, baby. <laughs> the long stroke, not the short stroke. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Shayla's mom um, does that with dimes. She'll find dimes all the time, and that's kind of you know some good luck. But oh shit, yeah, she's I moving that. She's moving the ball here. forward ten more. You know, nine more cents. So yeah, dude, she doesn't mess around. You know, she plays for keeps. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I remember growing up and hearing the same thing. Oh, it's uh, it's on heads, so you can pick it up. Or oh no, it's tails up, so just walk past it, leave it alone. <laughs> but yeah, I never heard about flipping it over for somebody else until we started looking into this uh, this episode. So that's kind of cool. I think I'm gonna leave jalapeno garlic crickets for people to find, and that'll give them some yeah. real good luck. Well, from pennies we go to mirrors, also made by the metal of the gods. Everyone has probably heard, for example, that breaking a mirror will bring seven years of bad luck. And this superstition dates all the way back to the Romans. And it was the Roman artisans who actually learned that manufacturing mirrors from polishing metal surfaces could be used by the gods to observe their souls through these devices. But then around the 3rd century, mirrors were then being made from glass, which meant breaking them became a lot more commonplace. You see, you make a metal mirror and you polish it up real good and you drop it, it just goes clang, or you know, like a gong and scares the shit out of Sisyphus or somebody like that. But if you broke a glass mirror because they're so fragile, well, it was a big mess. So if you broke a mirror or damaged it in any other way, it was considered to be a sign of disrespect to the gods. And if you pissed them off by breaking their little peeping tom portals, then they'd rain down bad luck on your ass for about seven years. But why seven years, you ask? Well, it's because the Romans believed that life renewed itself every seven years, and your soul would kind of refresh itself after the seventh year. So if you made Neptune or Minerva mad by breaking your mirror, you gotta endure seven real shitty years. Mm. But the good news is, is there's a number of folk remedies for relieving the seven years of bad luck. You see, early American slaves believe that the bad luck could be washed away by immersing the pieces of a broken mirror into south-flowing water for seven hours. Another tale says that seven years of bad luck may be kept from taking effect by grinding the shards in the mirror into a fine powder so that no particle could any longer reflect images at all. Another one says that putting the broken pieces of it into a bag and then burying it would accomplish the same thing. But it's also worth mentioning that maybe mirrors need their own episode because you've also got scrying and ritual magic and remote viewing. And forget about seven years of bad luck, buddy. If you look into a mirror and say the name of Bloody Mary or fucking candy man you might not even make it long enough to have your seven years of shit misfortune mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. yeah so i want to put a pin in that and probably come back to mirrors at some point but anyway speaking of famous horror movie monsters like candy man let's move on to the fear of friday the 13th and the number 13 in general See, the fear of Friday the 13th, also known as Frucatrisk Aid Echophobia, is one that plagued our society for centuries. 
The diagnosis brings together the word Frigg, a Norse goddess and Friday's namesake, and Trisk Ada Ecophobia, which is a fear of the number 13 in general. So, you know, tie it together, what do you get? Every year, the world loses about 700 to 800 million dollars on Friday the 13th because people won't conduct business as usual. Many people will refuse to fly on the day, but on the contrary, Egyptians considered the afterlife, the 13th phase of life, to be very, very lucky. But anyway, almost 80% of high-rise buildings skip the 13th floor. No, no, no. No, no, no. They don't skip the no. 13th floor. Every single, like, when I was down in San, Ant- San Antonio for the honeymoon, and we were, like, mm-hmm. you know, going to all these, like, haunted hotels and, like, staying in them. Mm-hmm. They just renamed the 13th floor the 14th floor. There were still 13 mm-hmm. floors, but somehow <laughs> the friggin'nometry that they did in their math, they just like make it mm-hmm. 14. It's 13, but it's 14. If we call it 14, then it's not technically 13, and you'll be fine. <laughs> and then go ahead and put some gargoyles yeah. around the top of the 14th floor. And if they're on the, uh, the outside of the building, uh, we've got like two. You know, canceling forces to get rid of that juju and magic. But there's technically there still go. 13 floors. If you count them, like, you know, one, two, three, four, they just renamed it on the elevator. So, like, boop, right. trick the mind. Yep. I've also heard of buildings having a legitimate 13th floor and they just never finish it. It's there. It's usually got beams and rafters and everything else. But, like, again, like you said, your um, elevator will go 12. And then to 14, it'll go up just a little longer than normal because it kind of jets right past the 13th floor. But technically, a lot of buildings have a legitimate 13th floor. They just don't name it and don't do anything with it. Anyway, many airports also exclude gate number 13, and hospitals regularly try to avoid the 13th room. And of course, who could forget my personal favorite scary movie monster, Jason Voorhees, who has no doubt influenced our opinion of Fridays and the number 13th in a majorly negative way. And here's a fun fact for everybody, especially my favorite fellow horror movie fans. The next Friday the 13th of 2013 is going to be in October, baby. That means the perfect time for a Jason Voorhees movie marathon. Hey, look, fuck that hockey mask wearing pussy, okay? Because he's not the original bad boy of Friday the 13th, right? Don't don't hedge That's all your bets right. on Mr. Jason. Fuck that guy. <laughs> right. I'm glad you said that part that I put in that you didn't know that I wrote for you. Hey, Jason Voorhees, if you're not first, you're last, bitch. <laughs> Very true, very true. So yeah, the original bad boy of Friday the 13th, first and foremost. The Last Supper's 13th guest and last apostle was none other than Judas himself, who also portrayed Jesus, according to the Bible. Then, of course, Jesus' crucifixion occurred on a Friday, and some scholars believe that Eve tempted Adam on a Friday with the apple from the tree of knowledge, as well as... Cain killing his brother on a Friday as well. So, again, the Bible rears its head. But it's actually perhaps the beginning of the number 13th association with bad luck that could be traced back to Norse mythology. When Loki, the god of mischief, gate-crashed the banquet in Valhalla, 
bringing the number of gods in attendance to thirteen as well. Deceived by Loki, the blind god Hodor was tricked into shooting his brother Balder, the god of light and joy and goodness, with a mistletoe-tipped arrow, killing him instantly. So mm. it seems as though Jason Voorhees ain't the king of the 13th Friday, but instead it's a toss-up between fucking Judas and Loki. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then again, King Philip IV of France certainly didn't help anything by ordering the persecution of the Knights of Templar on a Friday, October 13th, back in 1307. And in the following years, several thousands faced torture and execution as well. Preston, you probably know a little bit about that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, basically uh, the Knights uh, Templar were really like the first Swiss bank. Um, They had devised Mm -hmm. a banking system uh, to where they would hold on to your goods, or if you were traveling through Jerusalem, they had a trade currency in place to where you could exchange, Mm -hmm. you know, francs for gold dollars and yens for gold dollars. You know, wherever you were from, whatever the currency was, they had an exchange rate going on, and so, and then they would protect you uh, through your holy pilgr- pil- pilgrimage. And um, the Pope didn't like that. The Pope wanted, Ooh, to, wanted the power. And, uh, you know, old uh, King Philly liked to get his dick wet. And he also liked to drink. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and he got his dick wet a little too much and drank a little too much and basically bankrupt France like 10 times. And every single time he'd go up to the old Knights Templar, you know, uh-huh. my brothers, what's up? It's King Philly. I need a loan. Who wants this dick? And, oh. <laughs> yeah, he's like, my dick is dry. It needs to be wet. Give me some money. <laughs> and they're like... <laughs> okay fill up and they you know they give him the money and then you know he'd be like yo guess what my dick is dry again i need more money i'm thirsty <laughs> and they give more money and then after a while you know they were just like fool me once shame on me uh-huh. fool me twice shame on me again fool me the 10th time go fuck yourself <laughs> and then the pope was like hey what'd they tell you and he's like, they told me to go fuck myself. And he's like, they told me to go fuck myself. And ain't nobody telling the Pope to go fuck himself. Uh-oh. So he's like, they're devil worshippers. They're probably, they're probably <laughs> doing, you know, men sex shit and cutting off babies' heads and all this. Like, get them. Uh-huh. And so mm-hmm. they rounded them all up Friday the thirteenth. And uh, the, mm-hmm. one of the uh, one of the the tortures to get them to admit that they were devil worshippers was uh, they would lay them on a, a wooden bed. <clears throat> And strap him down, and uh, the torture guy would uh, take pig fat and smear it all over their feet. Just coat the whole entire foot mm-hmm. up to the ankle, just in 100% gooey pig mm-hmm. fat. And then they take a candle, and they just slowly move it forward and move it forward and keep getting it closer and closer until it was right up on them piggly wigglies. And uh, the fat would heat up and slow roast the skin straight to the bone. Fuck that noise. Yeah, fall off like Kansas City barbecue. (laughs) And uh, they were just like, at that point, like, yes, hail Satan. What, what, just fucking (laughs) slice my throat already. I want to die. What do I need to say? And so they're like, all right, you heard it from those three guys right there. Hail Satan. Uh, Fucking go kill the rest of them. And then, boom, that's, that's how it happened. <laughs> you know, they got him. And meanwhile, the the Pope's just up there in his throne singing, Templars roasting on an yeah. open fire. And then, you know, uh, for the 11th time, King Philip got his dick wet. And, uh, 
That's all. She, you know, <laughs> boom. That's all Fuck she wrote. Sake, man. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, he was consistent. There you go. Okay, and of course, as mentioned before, guys, who could forget old Pope Gregory the Ninth? introduced the damn Vox in Rama that almost screwed black cats into oblivion. Again, introduced on June 13th, 1233. But that was a Tuesday. And if those tales don't convince you, maybe math can step in and change those vibes. See, if, if 13 is the unlucky number, then perhaps 12 might be the luckiest number of all. 12 appears a lot in our culture in good ways. There's 12 months in a year, 12 hours on a clock, 12 signs of the Zodiac, and 12 apostles of Jesus. Except for Judas. Fuck that guy. While Western cultures have historically associated the number 12 with completeness, you know, 12 days of Christmas, and again the Zodiac, the 12 labors of Hercules, the 12 gods of Olympus, except for Loki. Fuck that guy too. And 12 tribes of Israel. The number 12 is also said to be a perfect number because the sum of all it's divisible by can be added up to 12 as well. I don't think that's right, though, because if you take 1 plus 2, that's 3, plus 3, that's 6, plus 4, that's 10, plus 6 is 16. So I maybe I'm just dumb and don't understand it, or maybe they're wrong. It makes its successor 13 into the unlucky number. But if we dig a little deeper, though, we can find evidence that both Fridays and the number 13th have long been regarded as harbingers of good fortune, not just bad fortune. Because in pagan times, for instance, Friday was believed to have a unique association with divine femininity. <clears throat> femininity. And the number 13, meanwhile, has long been regarded as a portentous number by pre-Christian and goddess-worshipping cultures for its link to the number of lunar and menstrual cycles that occur in a calendar year. Fertility was prized in pagan times, and artwork could be often drawn in connections to menstruation, fertility, and the phases of the moon, all wrapped around the number 13. Feminists. And speaking if, of divine... If you're listening, I'm just going to throw... I don't know, maybe some advice out there. Look, you guys have been trying to change shit for a long time and burning bras and all that ain't working. And you know why? Because you're not using the power of lucky number 13 like your ancient sisters did. So I don't know. Maybe next time you're going to have like a protest and you're going to burn some bras and, you know, do your feminist shit. Wow. Do it on Friday the 13th. Just wow. or, or, you know, that's actually probably your luckiest day because it's a Friday and it has number 13 in it. Um, and we need uh -huh. to cancel out all the bad shit with Friday the 13th in our culture. So do us a solid. Do your shit then. Just saying. Huh. I'm not sure if that's great advice or chauvinism at its finest. I'm pretty sure it's solid advice. I'm just saying, like, okay. based off <laughs> history and superstition. Um, <clears throat> dude, go back to your roots, okay? They got shit done back then. <clears throat> Why? Because they were following the golden rule of Friday the 13th, huh. um, and you're not <clears throat> doing that shit now. So I'll follow that up by saying... And speaking of divine femininity, I'm glad you brought that little tangent up there, buddy, because the tide may also start turning because of one Taylor Swift, who considers 13 her lucky number and early on in her career, oftentimes performed with the number written on her hand. Taylor Swift, setting good examples far and wide, says, I was born on the 13th. I turned 13 on Friday the 13th. My first album went gold 
in 13 weeks. My first number one song had a 13-second intro, she told MTV back in 2009. Every time I've won an award, I've been seated on either the 13th seat, the 13th row, the 13th section, or row M, of course, which is what, Preston? The 13th letter. So basically, wherever a 13 comes up in my life, it's a good thing. So let's all summon the power of Taylor Swift. T Swizzle. <laughs> yeah, so you gave me spilling salt. And then I was looking up, like, well, you know, why the fuck do we throw salt behind our back when we spill it? And then uh-huh. I got, like, a whole fucking, like, 15 different food articles on different shit. I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know half of this crap. So rice. You throw it for prosperity and fertility. So that's why at weddings it's not uncommon for as the bride and groom are walking out that people chuck rice at them. Originating mm-hmm. in Italy, this is a superstition that uh, most people know. It was born in the time when marriage was uh, made to transfer land and power. Throwing rice at newlyweds was uh, thought to be offering wealth and fertility. But why rice? Well, mm-hmm. because it was cheaper and uh, less painful than throwing figs. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> cheap bat. Hey, we want to bless you with, uh, you know, prosperity and wealth. So we're going to find the cheapest fucking thing we have to throw at you. Good luck. Yeah. Now, of course, we throw uh, confetti because we're even cheaper. And... Uh, and it's, uh, I don't know, but it's more difficult to clean up. So just, you know what? Just get something to shoo birds away and then throw the rice, okay? <laughs> Confetti's worse for the environment, you know? Well, and, and to that, you know, you're not supposed to throw rice anymore because if birds eat, you know, a tummy full of rice and get a big old gulp of water, their stomachs can explode. So now we're supposed to throw bird seed. Huh. Well. Yeah. Uh, the pouring, more you know. Yeah, pouring two cups of tea from the same pot. Ooh, that's the worst fucking luck there ever was. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, uh-oh, I do that all the time. Like, who the fuck wants to drink just one <laughs> cup of tea? No, daddy goes gets, uh, like, you know, his uh, big teapot that's got the little tea leaf thing at the very bottom, and I can make, like, a whole, you know, pot of tea, and I can just pour multiple cups. But anyways... Uh, uh-huh. if you pour two cups of tea from the same pot, it will bring you bad luck. Now, and you know, nowadays it's made with tea bags. So most people don't even know, know about that. But, um, you know, if you know anybody in your life that drinks a lot of tea, uh, don't, don't let them do it. You know, go tea bags, <laughs> help, help a guy out or a sister wow. out, you know, don't, don't let them do anything now. Uh huh. Spilling salt bad luck yep mm-hmm. throwing it good luck how did how mm. did we come across this well judas iscariot you son of a bitch it's all your fault again <laughs> fucking judas man i know so if you s- spill salt prepare to be cast into internal damnation or something like that mm-hmm. fortunately you can reverse this a bad turn of a fortune by simply throwing salt over your shoulder your left shoulder because uh. right is dexteritous left is sinful because this is the bad hand so uh-huh. don't, don't, <laughs> and that's uh, also because 
in a lot of belief systems, you have the good devil and the bad devil, the good side, the bad side. Yeah. And it's believed that the devil oftentimes sits on the left shoulder, including some Middle Eastern beliefs of the same principle. You have a, uh, oh, I forgot what they're called, shit. But anyway, basically you have like a good version and then you have a jinn sitting on the left shoulder. So the idea is you take the salt and you just pelt, you know, the old devil bastard right in the face sitting on your yeah. shoulder. And, of course, salt is said to ward off evil spirits. So you just pelt that little bastard like, you know, tiny shotgun shells with salt all day. Oops, just bumped my mic. All yeah. day long. And uh, if you read in the Bible, the Bible doesn't go into details of this. But apparently, mm-hmm. you know, when people back in, like, you know, the 1500s, when they didn't have anything better to do with their, their life, and they would just stare at, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, in the scene, mm-hmm. Judas Iscariot is seen right over a spilt container of salt. Huh. And which honestly that's not the worst thing that he probably did. Yeah. But um because that was depicted in that scene, it became considered bad luck. And uh they're like, Well if that bastard did it, I mean, he's already done all these other crimes, like, ooh, it's bad you know, mm-hmm. it's bad. Uh, and also Salt used to be pretty expensive, and not everybody, not, uh, you know, not you and I, let's say that we were living mm-hmm. back in the day, we, we weren't rich enough to be able to cook with salt and have salt. We, we'd, we'd be, you know, the poor sea urchins of the world, and salt wouldn't mm-hmm. be in our repertoire, and so uh, it was considered uh, unfortunate if or, you know, misfortune if you spilt it because it was such a commodity that it would yeah. bring bad luck upon you. And uh, also, uh, like you said, uh, assuming that the devil sits on your left side of your shoulder, you'd hit him in the face with the salt. And, ah, it's in my eyes. Ah. And then he'd go away. So. <laughs> and then, Sean, if, uh, you, you know, I, I need to know this, but if a man and a woman pour tea together, you're going to get knocked up within a year. So. Don't Uh-oh. don't want a child with uh, the with a man or a woman you're drinking tea with, then don't drink mm-hmm. tea together. That's as simple as that. Yeah. So look at that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, break an egg with two yolks means twins or death. So uh, <laughs> either or. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. That uh, that superstition originates uh, with Rome, and in the N- Norse culture as well. They have a, a slightly different take. They believe that cracking an egg with a double yolk uh, just doesn't mean bad luck. It just means that you're going to die because it's you know it's doesn't happen all the time. So ah, gotcha. Bubbles on your coffee could mean money coming your way. So if you make a cup of coffee that's uh, all bubbly, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the bubbles on top float towards you you're about to come into money and it's like winning the lotto that little trip down superstition road kind of leads us to the end here where we bring up the idea that superstitions are fun and they're very interesting but like i said earlier they really have to do with patterns recognizing cause and effect you know causation and all that kind of stuff so I myself, like I said before, am known to put my St. Sebastian pendant in my pocket 
um, now that I actually broke the little eyelet off of it. But that's been something I've taken with me a lot of times. Um, even outside of like doing OCR races, I've traveled with it. I normally put it on my backpack or my carry-on. And when we went and did the Museum of Shadows, of course, along with the cross my parents gave me when I was in eighth grade, um, I put both those things on a chain and wore it around my neck. And thank God and gods I did, because the things that happened in that room were very bizarre, and I'm pretty happy I had some kind of, you know, religious uh, trinket or two on. But, you know, that's easy to say, ooh, I like to find pennies and pick them up. But when you talk about patterns and causation and stuff like that, and like a couple people that commented um, on our last episode, superstitions also go hand in hand with OCD. And while you and I are neither one um, qualified to talk about mental health, it still needs to be brought up. Superstition is a natural and common phenomenon. Considering athletes who don't change their underwear on a winning streak, gamblers who blow on dice sets at a good crap table, Sports fans who sit in a lucky chair to watch the entire game, and countless others among us who avoid the 13th floor, knocking on woods, crossing our fingers, and performing any other number of rituals that have no casual effect on the outcome they hope for. Usually a small dose of a superstition has no super um, significant bearing on a person's life. But in obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, superstition can be a driver of intolerable fear and an overwhelming sense of responsibility to prevent misfortune, i.e. superstition and OCD kind of go hand in hand, and one of them can fuel the other like a fire. So at the heart of superstitious behavior, it's superstitious thinking, the perception of an action or ritual like skipping over cracks and pavement that can actually prevent bad things from happening to oneself or loved ones. Mental health professionals refer to this form of OCD thinking as magical thinking because it involves supernatural associations with cause and effect. For instance, an individual might have the intrusive thought if I use the new coffee maker, my wife will get into a car accident. To alleviate the fear that this might bring, they just avoid using the coffee maker. Their wife returns home safe and they think, okay, thank God I don't use the coffee maker. My wife doesn't get hurt. And it just kind of spirals way out of control. All of this being driven by the perception that such rituals could prevent freak accidents. So with OCD, um, again, it's kind of a, a real slippery slope. And unfortunately, there's just not a lot of things you can do to really prevent it. I know a lot of people who obsess over picking up pennies, a lot of people who obsess over counting windows and stairs and stuff like that. And some people argue it as a superstition. Well, in reality, it could be a little bit of obsessive compulsive disorder. So there's a lot to be said about OCD. And I think that we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about it because it's such a deep dive. But I think it's something that maybe we'll return to at another time um, due to time and the fact that we had a little technological um, difficulty at the very beginning. Yeah. We probably ought to cut the episode now because <laughs> it's already after 11 and we started around 930. Yeah. Anyway, um, something else I thought was really interesting. We talked about a lot of superstitions on this episode. We didn't really delve into anything outside of, you know, European or American superstitions. And I mean... There's a whole cornucopia out there about, you know, Asian superstitions and other stuff. So, you know, maybe we'll come back to superstitions sometime and do a part three on this. Who knows? Yeah, like uh, certain Asian cultures, you're, you, you know, can only wipe your ass with your left hand because your right hand is the good hand. And, you mm -hmm. know, wiping your butt's a dirty deed. And the sinful hand. Done dirt cheap. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of cultures, that's, yeah, you don't shake hands with a certain hand because that's your butt hand, so. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and that being said, um, oddly enough, talking about kind of um, superstitions and a little OCD as well, um, back when COVID was just rampant and we were, you know, about a year or so into it, I personally would have what I called my clean hand and my dirty hand because, you know, we didn't know how this shit worked. If you touched the doorknob and touched your eyeball, would you end up in, you know, an ER? So anything I wanted to do that would involve me opening doors or doing certain things or I'm touching public um, items and articles, I did it all with my left hand. That way, if I had an itch or, you know, had to stick my finger in my eyeball or up my nose, I would do it with the right hand because that's the hand that, you know, I'm right-handed. So then that would be the one that I would normally, you know, reach up to scratch an itch or do something. And that way I wouldn't be touching, you know, other people's dirty germs and then sticking it in my orifices. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe a little OCD, maybe a little superstition, who knows? Well, anyway, buddy, we're coming up on the eve of St. Patrick's Day. So what do you think? Next episode, should we talk about elves and wood sprites and some more of that kind of shit? Yeah, why not, man? Cool. Awesome. I think we shall. Well, until next time, folks, thank you for joining us. And if you're watching this episode live, thank you for uh, enduring that first 15 minutes. I really am happy that my brother reached out and told us. So, yeah, this episode executively produced by my brother. (laughs) Good job. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to follow us on the other socials outside of YouTube, please check us out on Instagram at PXLParanormal. Uh, We're well over 700 followers on there, so that's fantastic. Maybe the quest to 1,000 before next year might just happen. We're already up to 242 subscribers on YouTube. Like, we were at a... Oh, shit, girl. 238, so we're up like four, five, so... Nice, man. Hell yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, the followership is growing. I know we hit that kind of speed bump whenever we had to start the new um, feed on YouTube and everywhere else the audio podcast goes. But, you know, we do really appreciate you guys following us and sticking with us. And, and of course, all you new listeners and followers as well. It's pretty fantastic. Um, if you're on the Facebook, please check us out. The Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Preston, you just talked about YouTube, so you beat me to it, baby. Mm-hmm. But yeah, look at that, man, you know. Who knows? Maybe we'll hit 300 before our seven-year anniversary. Yeah. Folks, have a moment um, to talk about Big Dob's Beard Bomb and why you should use it. So if any (laughs) takeaway that you have tonight from tonight's episode, I I would want to refer you back to Judas Iscariot himself. See, the Bible doesn't really touch on this one important fact And if I were a preacher and I was talking about Judas Iscariot and I was looking to my flock of sheep out into the crowd, I would tell you this. Judas was a scuzzy-looking, dirty, homeless, you know, plebe. Some bitch. And Jesus, he was the man of the hour. He was son of God himself. He was one good-looking, savvy Son of a bitch. And do you know why that is? Do you know why Jesus was just just shining with uh, heavenly light? Because Jesus knew that he needed to look good. He needed to smell good. And the only way to get the beard of heavy, heavenliness was to use BigDobsBeardBomb.com. That's right. Jesus was a time traveler. So he knew I needed to go forward in time, find this guy called Dobbs. Put his beer product uh-huh, in my face, uh-huh. and that way people will know that I truly am the 
uh, son of God. I mean, look at this beard. You can't lie with this shit, people. This is this is the beard. This is the beard. Heavenly beard. Smells good. Looks oh, good. Oh, wow. And whole juice of scariot, you know, he spilt salt on the table. Uh-huh. You know, he did some other dastardly shit. He was just a he was just a mm-hmm. fucker all the way around and his beard didn't look good. It didn't smell good. <laughs> Probably had pig shit in it. Who knows? And so he became the betrayer. He's like, you know what? Fuck that guy. I want a good beard like that. So you need to bypass being like Judas. And you just need to go do yourself a favor. Go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com, use promo code PXLPARA, <laughs> and get yourself some heavenly discounts because that bad boy is going to get you 20% off your order. And you can pick yourself up scents like Bay Rum, Fresh, Citrus, Mint, Classic, and Sweet Tobacco. Get it all. Get it at Dobbs. That may have been your longest promo for BigDobsBeardBomb.com. Yeah. <laughs> um. And with that, I'll follow it up by saying, first of all, happy belated birthday to our buddy, John. John just celebrated a birthday, I believe, yesterday. And with that being said, please, if you're in the Wichita area, stop by and see his darling wife, our wonderful friend, Leslie, and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post, Pawnee, and Seneca. All right, everybody, don't step on a crack or you're falling, break your back. And I say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us who'd love to talk about it. And say spooky. And stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.